The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I've got some enjoyable listening for you. On this episode, I'm joined by a singular talent, Jonathan Courant. He's an exceptional jazz singer, and along the way, I'll be featuring excerpts, a couple of new singles of his, as well as two selections from his live album. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by the guests of the show and listeners like you. If you enjoy, support the show. Go to thepaulleslie.com. Click the button that says support the show and help keep the Paul Leslie Hour going. Contribute any amount via PayPal. I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Let's get into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to present this great interpreter of song. Jonathan Current is a song stylist on recordings and performances. He's connected with people around the world. The range of material is broad in scope, from pop to classics from the American Songbook. Jazz Corner had this to say about Jonathan. A voice romantic without being cloying, warm but not forced. Jonathan carries songs with an emotional weight that reaches your soul. At the same time, he can sing with the kind of jazz suave that was patented by Mel Torme. So, Jonathan Courant, it's a great pleasure. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a real honor. I've been enjoying getting to know your recordings, and I like to start kind of heavy. <laughs> All right. Why do you sing? Oh, geez. I guess I don't know what else to do at this point. <laughs> I really I don't. I've, I've thought about like what else I would do, and um, I guess if I had to step out of off stage and into another career, I would probably open um, my own supper club, jazz club kind of thing. So I would still be in that vein. But um, I guess, you know, singing makes everybody feel good, but it was kind of something uh, that I just had to do. So I I did it. I was using this term song stylist, and that's a way that you've described yourself as well. And I think that's interesting. There are so many singers. Everyone wants to be known for their style. Everybody, of course, wants to be unique. So how did you come upon this this kind of identity for yourself, Jonathan Song Stylist? Well, I, you know, iTunes and the, the world, uh, of course, classifies me as a jazz vocalist, but I do mix it up and I do have other influences. So I guess I didn't, I didn't want to just be typecast as solely a, a jazz singer. And, uh, I like to paint my own picture with all sorts of different music. So I, I guess that seemed fitting. I've heard that you have a final record collection. Oh, I do. Yes, I do. It has grown and shrunk over the over the years, but uh, I do love vinyl. Yeah. I'm curious to know, because I think you can find out a lot about a person if you get a chance to flip through their vinyl record collection. What kind of things would we find in there, and what things would we find that are pretty well-worn from listening? Well, the Hartman... 
Coltrane album. I've worn that out quite a bit. I have a couple, couple that I've had signed, which I, I love having them signed by artists. Diane Shear has signed a few for me. I think I had one signed by Nancy Wilson. I think I'd have another one signed by, oh, who who else? I think I have one signed by Stevie Wonder, but I guess that you'd you'd see a lot of jazz and a lot of jazz vocalists in there. And then you would see some things like Stevie Wonder, some things that are more uh, pop or R&B related, but they're kind of retro, like things from the 70s. I, I do have some newer ones like Amy Winehouse, but it's a, a mix of array, but definitely a lot of jazz influences in there. And I... I read recently that vinyl, for the first time in 30 years, has surpassed CD sales. <laughs> that's really that's really interesting, and it's understandable because it's such a it's such an experience to really just relax and and, and get in tune with what's playing there. Right, and you have to work for it because <laughs> you have to go flip the record every every once in a while. But it 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 records sound in a completely different way, you know. CDs are digital and it's all just numbers. So it is a completely different sound. You really hear it the way the person mixing it in the studio really wanted it. You know, you really hear what they were going for when you listen to it on vinyl. Well, that makes me curious because you sung in the studio and made these great recordings and also you have sung on stage. Would you say that one is more satisfying or more rewarding for you to sing, to make albums in the studio or to sing on stage? Well, my favorite thing is definitely to be on stage, be in front of a live audience, make that connection. You can feel the energy between the musicians you're working with, and you can totally feel the buzz and the energy that you create in the room with the audience, which is just magic, really. Being in the studio is wonderful, though, because you you document something and then you're able to send it out into the world. And um, so that's a really special thing, too. The, the last time I, I went into the studio, which was over the summer, I actually, which I never do, I brought a, a, about five or six people in to hang in the studio. And it really, really helped, actually, to have have them there because... They created energy, and, and I do feed off of that. So I think going forward, I will probably, when I'm doing a recording, want to have some, some people around to listen that appreciate what I do because it really made a difference when you're in there alone. or I mean, the musicians do great, but a lot of times vocalists will go back and comp things uh, later alone, and it's really um, not, not the same experience when you're in there alone. Hmm. I can I can definitely see that. Yeah, live music. Yeah, live being on stage is my favorite thing. I was listening to this recording that you did. I'd rather go blind, which a lot of the listeners out there know. It's synonymous with Etta James. I think that was one of the only songs she uh, wrote. Actually, she wrote a handful, but that was one of them that she had something to do with writing the lyrics. So how do you go about interpreting a song? You have a recording that perhaps you've listened to a number of times. What is the process that you, you go through in order to put your stamp on it and record it? 
Well, it helps to sing them live a few times to really get to know it inside and out. But then just, um, I guess, feeling how you feel the song, how you connect with the story of the song. So really, it's just the way you would imagine the feeling and how, how, how you want to get that feeling across. I guess that's how, how I, I work through that process and how I want to play with it, what parts I want to, want to change or, or change the melody or Im, Im, do some improvisation on. Yeah. I'm going to play an excerpt from Jonathan Carant's single, I'd Rather Go Blind. Something told me it was over When I saw you and that boy talking Something deep down in my soul said cry, cry When I saw you and that boy walking down And I would rather I would rather go blind Than to see you walk away from me So much that I don't want to watch you leave me Most of all, I just don't want to be free I was just, just a sitting here thinking About your kiss and your warm embrace Oh, and the reflection in the glass that I, I held up to my lips, babe Revealed the tears, the tears coming down my face To see you walk away, see you walk away from me Yes, I would Oh, I'd rather go blind Than to see you walk away, don't you walk away I don't wanna see you walk away
you gave us a, a, a glimpse into your vinyl record collection yourself as as a vocalist. Who would you say your biggest influences are? Well, I would have to say Nancy Wilson, Mel Torme, probably those two, but I've learned from so many of the greats. You know, I, I started listening to Billie Holiday when I first really came to this style of music, and then I got really into Frank Sinatra, and then I moved on to Carmen McRae and Johnny Hartman. So, I mean, I've had a lot of great teachers just by opening my ears up and listening. And, and um, it was, you know, during the process of trying to find my own voice, listening to all of theirs really gave me a, a strong backbone. I always figure that if somebody is a jazz fan or a jazz singer, you have to go through a certain amount of, I mean, it's hard enough being a musician, but to be a jazz follower, it kind of feels sometimes like you're a fish swimming against the, the stream. I remember one time I was on this FM station and I got in trouble. They The, the program director sat me down and he said, I understand you've been playing jazz at night. <laughs> like it was a bad thing. <laughs> Could you imagine yourself doing any kind of music? What is it about jazz that really, it's it's a part of you? You know, when I walk into a, a department store or something, and if they have some nice jazz playing, it automatically lifts my spirit. If I walk into a store or something and they have, you know, some really commercial, noisy kind of pop going on or some country going on, it affects my mood, I guess. And I guess that's because what that's what I'm drawn to. I think jazz kind of picked me, but I really love the freedom of it, how you can take any song you, you hear pretty much and twist it to to your own style and, and your own put your own stamp on it so i really uh love being able to uh play with it like that and the freedom is just endless that that you have you know i want everybody to check out jonathancoran.com and there's some photos of you some really interesting photos of you with some really Iconic people in jazz, and we were talking on the phone yesterday, and you said that you knew Freddie Cole. And I'm curious to know, who have you met in the jazz community that you were especially ecstatic to meet them? Oh, there have been a, 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 lot of, a lot of artists that I've been really excited to meet. I guess the, the number one was a friend of mine, a vocalist, Grammy-nominated Sasha Boutros, and I were invited to hang at Nancy Wilson's home. So I had already met her at a concert, but to be uh, invited to her house to hang out for the day, that was, I was pretty um, like a kid on Christmas. That was a really special day. And driving to her home, it was just really exciting. Another one would be Diane Schur, uh, growing up with her records. Uh, my mom listened to a lot of her. And she came to one of my shows one night, and I she got up on stage with me. And I talked to her on the phone last week, and we hang out whenever I'm in her neck of the woods. So 
that's been a great friendship to make. And another one, Las Vegas, where I am based, still does something called the Variety Show. Those still happen. And, um, or, well, not at this moment, but they do still happen. And it's so it was really cool to do a variety show with Paul Williams because I, I love his songwriting. And so that was really cool. And he was such a down to earth guy. Just so cool to talk to. And he asked me to email him one of one of my takes on, on one of his songs called Ordinary Fool. So there have been many, but those those stand out. Uh, I know that song, Ordinary Fool, and I'm, like you, a huge, huge fan of Paul Williams. You have good taste. <laughs> yeah, well, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you think that there are any misconceptions about you? I'm not sure. I guess I guess when you do say, like, the word jazz, some some people get afraid of it because they might think that it's super out or some people think that, you know, somebody blowing on a saxophone can be, make them nervous or noisy if it's too, uh, if, you know, all over the place. But, uh, so maybe sometimes when, when somebody could maybe say, Hey, let's go check out this jazz vocalist, Jonathan, maybe some people are afraid of that, but there are, there are so many different levels of jazz. And uh, I think, um, you know, almost anybody could probably come to one of my shows and enjoy it because I don't go so far out to where you have to have a degree in music to understand what I'm doing. Although I do play and improv a lot on on the melody. What I really want to do at the end of the show is to have taken you somewhere and hopefully made you feel something. You are in Las Vegas at the moment, correct? Correct. Would you say that there is, uh, given the history of Las Vegas and all of the great shows that have been there, is there more of an appreciation? Is there a pretty vibrant jazz scene there in Vegas? There is. And again, it's different levels of jazz. Some of it can be really out, and then some of it is more of like of, of the classic, more pop or popular American songbook kind of stuff. There's still, when people come to this city, they want to see a Rat Pack show. I mean, they want to see a Sinatra. They want to see something like that. There's a great, great appreciation for live entertainment here. It's really nice to see not only tourists, but the locals here follow entertainment like it's a hobby. So, it's really nice. It's a really nice community for that. I was listening to your live album, and one of the cool things about it is, one, there's a really great collection of stuff on there, but you start with almost like being in love. That's the first track, which is a show tune. And I know you have a background. Would you say that that somehow has informed you as a jazz singer in certain ways? Well, it probably def definitely helped turn turn me on to the Great American Songbook, because when you're doing musical theater, or when you when you listen to any of the musical theater music, a lot of that was entered, you know, into the American Songbook. It came from old Hollywood and um, Broadway, 
So it definitely probably helped help me gravitate there. Yeah. My grandparents did too. They helped helped by listening to things like Irving Berlin and Sinatra and Dean Martin and so it you know, a lot of the same songs that somebody like Freddie Cole would have sung or, or a lot of the same ones that Sinatra would, would have sung. It's just a different different take. I'm gonna play an excerpt for you. This is from Jonathan Courant Live, the Learner and Lowe song, Almost Like Being in Love. interpretation you did of Nature Boy. Yeah, that's a great tune. Absolutely. Yeah, you did it very well. Thank you. Very far, very far 
Album Jonathan Corrent Live, his interpretation of Nature Boy. I know that you recently have recorded a Christmas song, and it's a Christmas song that everybody knows. It's become a, a very famous song, and I'm hoping you can tell us what inspired you to to interpret the famous Mariah Carey Christmas song. Right, I think since she's released it, that has been the number one Christmas song every single year. I mean, it's definitely the most played, but it does remain on the holiday charts every year. I was, you know, originally when I thought, oh, I'm going to release a a Christmas single and maybe next year I'll, I'll get a full album together of holiday music. I automatically, of course, went to songs that I thought were beloved from, from my childhood or th- things that I grew up listening to. But when I looked up that song, All I Want for Christmas Is You, and did a little research on it, I realized that no no jazz vocalist had done a jazz recording of it. So I thought, well, this everybody loves this song, obviously, and um, nobody's done a, a twist like this to it. And I just thought, I think I'm going to be the first one to do it. And it we we really gave it, I wanted to keep it upbeat. Charles McNeil and I, I, I kind of told him where I wanted, what direction I wanted to go to, and he wrote the 
the uh, arrangement for me, and he also plays saxophone on it. And it's upbeat and fun and swinging, and it's definitely, when you listen to it, it's got more of a classic, jazzy, you know, flavor to it. And it sounds timeless, I think. And uh, it's another great thing, you know, like I said, with jazz music, being able to take such a, you know, big commercial pop, iconic Christmas hit like that, and then to take it and and take it somewhere else. And so I I think it came out really fun. Absolutely. We're going to play an excerpt from Jonathan Carant's single, All I Want for Christmas is You. I don't want a lot for Christmas There is just one thing I need I don't care about the presents Underneath the Christmas tree I just want you for my own More than you could ever know Make my wish come true All I want for Christmas is you I don't want a lot for Christmas There is just one thing I need I don't care about the presents Underneath the Christmas tree I don't want to hang my stocking There upon the fireside Santa Claus won't make me happy With a toy on Christmas Day I just want you for my own More than you could ever know Make my wish come true All I want for Christmas is you All the lights are shining so brightly everywhere And the sound of children's laughter fills the air Everybody's singing I can hear those sleigh bells ringing Santa, won't you bring me the one I love? Won't you bring my baby to me? I won't ask for much this Christmas Won't even ask for snow I just want to keep on waiting Underneath the mistletoe I just want you here tonight Holding on to me so tight What more can I do? All I want for Christmas is you When you are getting ready to release something in this day and age where everything is is expected to be on a digital platform, what does that feel like? The day before, is it, do you get like jitters? What's it like when you're, okay, I've been working on this. I have it how I want it. Now it is time to let this out there into the world. It's uh, super exciting. And the day that it drops is super exciting too, because you see how, you know, people download it and they you get their feedback and their reaction and their love and support. So it's um, really exciting coming up to a release. Yeah. What would you say is the best compliment that you've gotten as an artist? Ooh, 
<laughs> that's uh, that's tough. Maybe um, this is going to sound terrible, but maybe when I look out in the audience and I see someone crying, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that, that sounds awful. But if I feel like I have moved someone to tears, that I've evoked that into them, I I think um, that's pretty powerful. And I think, you know, if somebody leaves and you've made them feel, I think they'll never f- forget you. They might forget what you're saying or forget forget what you were wearing, but they're not going to forget uh, how you made them feel. Hmm. Well put. Well, on that note, what is it like for you? You finish doing a show and somebody wants to meet you and you meet one of your fans. What is that experience like? Well, I love I'm I love uh, doing a meet and greet afterwards. I think it's great when the uh, artist gets to shake hands and take photos and sign sign CDs or or records or, or whatever. I think that's great that you're able to communicate and connect. And I mean, you've all just experienced something you know beautiful together. So I always enjoy meeting fans and shaking their hands and giving them a hug and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine when things return back to normal? It's my hope anyways, that we don't take live music for granted. What is it that you're looking most forward to when things hopefully God willing return to normal? Well, yeah, this pandemic has been, really tough on live music and and clubs i've seen a lot of clubs that that i've used to play frequently that are closing their doors i hope that this hasn't created you know kind of a laziness of of people that oh i'll just watch it on tv or i hope that that it's not going to become you know that to where people don't go out as much once this is all behind us but um i don't think they will because Again, when you're in a room doing doing live music, creating that energy, it's it's a two way street. There, it's not just me and the musicians. It's it's the audience that creates that energy. So I think people will crave crave that and be wanting to go back out. I uh, I know I I miss going to see artists and other friends, and I miss um, a lot of things that we all took for granted. I guess you know. There's so many just small things, hugs, shaking hands, you know, being able to just be close to each other. And it's human, Mm. you know, that that touch. So, um, yeah, I'll look forward to getting out and celebrating like a reunion, kind of. Absolutely. You know, as we were saying, it's it's very hard to do this anyways as a musician, let alone, you know, as, as we mentioned, a jazz musician, there, there's times it's, it's even more challenging, especially depending on where you are in the, in the country. Since we've been facing this ongoing pandemic, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you? What has been the hardest thing? Well, staying, uh, staying afloat, I guess, because, you know, all of a sudden you're not able to tour or travel or perform or at least not as much. So there goes, you know, your income. So I guess just, and also, you know, staying connected with your fan base 
as well when you don't have uh, things to promote. Luckily, I've been able to use this time and be in the studio, and I, I didn't think it was a great time to really release a full album because usually you release a full album and then you travel with it, you know. So um, I've released two singles during this time. I have a album that is piano and vocal, a great jazz pianist, Joshua White, and myself collaborated on a 13 tracks. And that I think I'm going to release in the spring. And then I have another album that I that I have done during the pandemic. And that has about 10 songs on it. And it's that one's a full album with a, a trio and quartet. I have a a duet with Jane Monheit on, on that one. So I don't know when I'll release that, but um, I look forward to uh, releasing new music in the new year. Hopefully this will all look a little bit better. Well, you certainly have made the most of your time. It sounds like you've been very busy. Right. And I mean, <laughs> it's been great to keep my uh, creative juices flowing like that. <laughs> I've been really fortunate to uh, have the time to get in the studio. Jane is such a great, a great singer. I, I really, I look forward to hearing that duet. Yeah, I look forward to, to sharing it with everyone. Can you tell us, is there perhaps a dream duet of yours? Other than Jane. All right. Well, yeah, she, she is top on my list. I, I absolutely love her voice and she's a sweetheart. I think Another one would be, uh, well, there'd be two. Okay, like the artist in me would pick Diana Krall, but the businessman in me would probably pick Lady Gaga. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and it, you really touch on something interesting here, and maybe that's another thing that people wouldn't necessarily see about a singer or a recording artist or any kind of musician. It is art and it is the creative process but it's a business as well right totally i mean that's one of the reasons i picked all i want for christmas is you is you know the artist in me probably would have really picked christmas time is here or something like that but um i thought you know what this is going to probably sell really well and i can also jump on it and be the first person to to kind of give it this jazz you know, take. So the businessman in me kind of went towards that. It is show business. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> you got to have a healthy, I think, mix of artistry and a, a good sense of, of a, you know, what's going to sell, what's, what's the business background of it as well. What did you think of Lady Gaga's duet album with Tony Bennett? I enjoyed it. I mean, I think she's a phenomenal singer. I enjoy watching her career. She's got a gorgeous voice. I think I, I think it's wonderful that she brought that music to her fans that wouldn't maybe have heard it otherwise. And I think she has a great appreciation of yesteryears. She certainly seems to love Tony Bennett. So I, I thought it was great that, that she did it. And so now for the artist in you, if Diana Krall is listening to this, we just don't know. What song would you want to sing with her? Ooh. <laughs> oh, I perhaps this A Beautiful Friendship, maybe that one. 
a beautiful friendship. Yeah, it's about a, 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 about two friends that are, are no longer friends because they become lovers. Ah, interesting. Is there a Jonathan Courant theme song? Is there a song that you heavily identify with your your personality, with yourself? Well, I think I identify a lot with the song Doodlin' because it's very playful, and I I have a very playful nature on stage and off, even though I love a song like that I just recently recorded. James Taylor wrote it. It's called The Secret of Life. I also like things that have a deeper meaning like that, that are almost spiritual to me. They're, they're so beautiful. But I think something like Doodlin, my number one re- requested song is probably Teach Me Tonight because, because I, of the way I play with that, probably. But I would say Doodlin would probably be a, a good theme song for me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a certain ritual before you're either going to perform or record? Sleep. Yeah, sleep is is really important and being hydrated if you're going to step on stage or step into the uh, into the recording studio. But I don't do any warm-ups usually or anything. The first song is the warm-up. <laughs> ah, I see. Your practicing of yoga, does that have any kind of effect or correlation with your singing? Definitely. Uh, definitely with my breathing. You know, it helps me hold a, hold a note longer. I think it helps open my, my body up to where I just feel it's, you know, singing is a very physical thing. So it, it really makes me more connected, like mind and body. And it makes me feel more open on stage and, and more, maybe more balanced and centered. Yeah, definitely. So when somebody is experiencing your music, whether it's through a recording or when God willing things open back up a live show, what is it that you hope that the person gets from that experience? What do you hope the listener gains? Well, I hope I hope I've turned them on to maybe some songs that they haven't heard before or maybe haven't some a great compliment that I've gotten after shows people come up to me, you know, I've heard that song a hundred times and I never got the meaning until tonight. You really told the story in a way that, that, you know, I understood what the song was all about. So that's, that's a great thing. I think if, if somebody can leave feeling like they've maybe learned a little something or been turned on to something new. And again, I hope I've, I've made them feel something when they, when they leave, I've touched them somehow. Are you of Greek ancestry? Yes, I'm a half Greek, a quarter Lebanese, and a quarter Irish. Ah, interesting. Now, have you been to Greece? Yes, I've been um, several times, and each time I've gone, I've stayed for like five weeks. (laughs) It is a wonderful place, that's for sure. Yes. I have to say, I, I I think that Greek people are some of the most hospitable people in the world, but it's fitting that you're a singer because, I mean, it's hard to think of anybody who likes music as much as Greek people do. 
Right, and life in general, they all, they're they always up to celebrate with music or food or wine. Yeah, they're very celebratory. Well, you've had a chance to visit a lot of different places around the world, and you've been able to sing across the United States. Tell us about perhaps one of the places that you have performed that was especially magical. Well, the... Smith Center here in Las Vegas, the cabaret jazz room that's there is really a magical place just because of the way it was built. It's state of the art, the sound, it holds about 250 people. There's not a bad seat anywhere. It's probably one of my favorite spots to play just because the building is so incredible. But another spot would be the Purple Room in Palm Springs. It probably holds 120 people. I mean, it's pretty, they stack them in there. But every time I play there, there's a real connection to the room. And it really feels like I've had a conversation with them. So that, that's been a really special place to play. What is the best thing about being Jonathan Courant? <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess I'm I'm grateful and happy that I know what I know and that I've been taught the things that that I think um help make you at least try to be a good and compassionate human being. I've had great family around me uh growing up, grandparents, my parents. And I, I think I was taught to appreciate certain things that maybe a lot of people could possibly take for granted. So Maybe, um, you know, my roots, my background, being able to appreciate little little things in life. Hmm. Very important. I always like to say that at the end of the show, I give the guest the stage. And it's not in any way limited to music, of course, but I know that there'll be people tuning in from all over. What would you say to anybody who's listening to this? Um, thank you very much for tuning in, and thank you for your love and support. I hope that our paths will cross uh, sometime, and I uh, can make music for you. Everyone out there, they can visit com. It's all A's. It's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-K-A-R-R-A-N-T.com. And I put all these different labels on you, that you're a performer, that you're a recording artist. I said a song stylist. Who is Jonathan at heart? How would you define yourself? I guess um, a playful, creative human being. <laughs> yeah, a friend. A friend. Yeah. I like that. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for having me. It's been great great chatting with you, Paul.
Goodbye.